Hey everybody, welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com. Movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley and I'm super excited for this week's show because we're talking about Ex Machina, which means I am joined by my favorite artificial intelligence, Mr. Rob DiCristino. You know, Patrick, I'm not that fun to podcast with, but I am fun to dance with. Nicely done. Cue the music. How are you doing, Rob? I'm doing all right. Good. Hanging in there, buddy. Good. How how's you? your How's your summer movie season going? Summer movie season. Uh, I am. So I had this thing where I was like, Oscar season's over. I'm gonna take a little break. I'm gonna just not really worry about movies right now. And then it was July. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, ah, shit. Uh, so uh, aside from stuff I've written about, I have not gotten to too much. I've I've done a little comfort watching lately, uh, which I guess we'll talk about. Sure. Um, and uh, other than that, I, I I am I'm trying to get up the enthusiasm, um, but nothing 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 sticking out to me right now in the summertime. I don't know. How about you, buddy? No, it's not great. Uh, I've been trying to keep up with some of the blockbusters and we'll talk about it in just a few minutes, but, uh, I'm not feeling great about where movies are at right now. And, and it's not fair to judge because we're in such a weird place. We have all these holdovers from 2020. We're in the summer. We're in blockbuster season. We're not getting a lot of variety. We're not getting a lot of counter-programming except for what's being offered on the streaming services. And so uh, I'm in a dark place in terms of contemporary movies. But uh, but I've been watching a lot of old stuff, too, and that's helped. Is he doing counter-programming? If, to borrow a phrase from Adam, like there's no monoculture. Like There's no... Right. There's nothing to counter program off of, right, you know what I right. mean? There's no, there's no theatrical experience. It's kind of, it's almost one of those things that, and, and I know I've bemoaned the, you know, the death of film and stuff like that, but like, it is kind of one of those things that's going away where studios kind of don't, there, there's, it's, it's the wild west right now where things just come out. Like all, all of a sudden there's just a tomorrow war and you were like, I didn't realize <laughs> there was going to be a tomorrow war. Nobody told me the tomorrow war was coming. And then it was okay. I still haven't watched The Tomorrow War because your review was like, this is just okay, and Chris Pratt is not enough of a sell to to tip the scales for me. Nope. Just watch Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. Um, But let's talk about your comfort watching and what you've been – what what have you seen lately? Um. So I'm all over the place. Uh, my, I, I honestly, and unfortunately, to, to peel back the curtain a little bit, I, I did not have a particularly thorough June exploitation either. Um, I feel really bad, uh, especially admitting that to you. Um, but I, I just, I, it was one of those years where I just like, I, I watched stuff to write about, and I, I caught a little bit of it here and there. But as I said, I just, I just haven't been in, in the right headspace. Um, and and so I I've done a little bit of genre watching. Um, I finally caught up with Saint Maud, um, which I really liked. Um, I did a recent rewatch of the Harry Potter movies. Oh, okay. uh, it, tur- it turned out I had never seen the last one. <laughs> um, like they watched six of them <laughs> and just forgot to watch the seventh. I, I just never got around. I mean, I read the I, I I read the book the day it came out. I know what happens, but yeah. I just for some reason never got around to it. And I, 
and I maintain that there's like three really good ones. Um, I, I think I think the Harry Potter movies are okay. I think it's I think it's impossible to, you know, uh, divorce the aesthetic of the movies, you know, from the books. I, my son and I are reading the books. Um, we reread them years ago when he was very small. Now he's a little bit older and he's kind of uh, old enough to understand them. So I bought the um, the illustrated uh, version of Sorcerer's Stone and, and we started reading it. So I got kind of back in the Harry Potter mindset. Um, and the movies are fine. I just, I just think as they get to the later, the later ones, um, there's just too much book and not enough movie and they get a little incoherent, but, um, I, I do enjoy just living in the world. Um, there's absolutely nothing anyone can do to make me watch any fantastic beasts movie though. I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I started saw those I, for the first time. I like, I like tilted the remote toward that. And I was like, you know what? Life's too short. Like I just, no. <laughs> like <laughs> just JB was in my head. Like, Life's too short, Rob. I kind um, of liked the first Fantastic Beast movie, uh, okay. despite my Eddie Redmayne allergy. But I, I kind of liked it because there was enough residual Harry Potter energy yeah. in it. Uh, the second one is is almost unwatchable. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm 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 comfortable with my Wizarding World experience um, there. What are the? Uh, I'm curious. That, what are the three good ones? I think Azkaban rules. Um, okay. I think that uh, I I seem to be one of the only people that really likes Goblet of Fire. I like Goblet of Fire. Um, okay, cool. All right, good. There's two of us. Um, and then I mean I I think the first one is just kind of you know it's just because there's just so much newness to it. There's so much there. Right. Um, I you know and and I feel that same way about the books. Like I, I, again, having reread the books recently, I think I think Chamber of Secrets kind of blows, and I think Order of the Phoenix is really rough. But um, Order you know, of the Phoenix I, I, is the only one I think I I actively don't like. I mean, I like Chamber of yeah. Secrets. It's the first movie Redux. You know, it's the first right, movie yeah. just done again, but it's still good enough. Um, the yeah. only one I really don't like is Order of the Phoenix. But and I haven't seen really any of them. I've rewatched the first one uh, because after my son read the book, we got to watch the movie, and then he stopped reading the books, so we stopped watching the movie. So I haven't seen watching any the of them movies, since the yeah. theater. My memory is that Half-Blood Prince was my favorite of all of them, but maybe yeah. that's a faulty memory. Um, it could it could very well be. Yeah, Order of the Phoenix is the one that suffers the most because the book is is the book is is not the best, and the movie is suffers the worst by excising a lot of the book out of it. So, um, I think there's parts of that movie that are basically incoherent. Okay. Um, but overall, enjoyed enjoyed it. Um. I don't know. I don't know if I'll go back. I, weirdly enough, I feel like I'll probably go back and read the books before I'll go back and rewatch the movies. I mean, if like a movie's on, I'll I'll put it on. But yeah, um, I don't I don't know how often I'll do a I'll do it do a, a, a series rewatch. I'm not sure. We'll see. We'll see when 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 uh, my son gets a little you know when we get a little bit further into it. If he decides he wants to crack a movie, we probably will. Okay, that makes sense. And talk about Saint yeah. Maud because I still haven't seen it because I keep forgetting that I can see it. So yes. I have not watched it. I had the same problem where you and I you know in similar circles in terms of you know critic screenings and stuff. And oh, you can watch it here. You can do it here. And then I didn't get around to those. And then I forgot. It was a festival thing, and it wasn't. Um, I really liked St. Maud, and I th think you'll really dig St. Maud. Okay. Um, it's, it's, I know you're not a religious horror person, but no. it's way more psychological. It's not so much about the religion as it is. It's kind of got a, um, 
uh, I'm sure this comparison has been made. Um, the the witch. It it not not in terms of aesthetic, but in terms of the psychology of the character, where there's sort of a force that's driving this character, and she can't quite put her finger on it, and she's trying different ways to. Um, if, if you're not familiar with Saint Maud at all, it's a nurse um, who is uh, sort of I don't want to say born again, but she's but she kind of after after some terrible things happen she sort of begins to embrace her religion um and starts to do things at the behest of her religion so there's a little bit of that sort of the force of god is compelling you kind of thing okay um it's it's i think you'll like it um i think it's not uh i think it's tempered enough in psychology and obsession and not so much in religion um it's been it's been a little you know i i watched a couple weeks ago so i, I don't have 100% in terms of the beats of it, but um, I think you dig it. I think I think you would like it. Um, let me know if you do watch it, because okay. it's obviously it was pretty lauded. You know, a lot of a lot of folks yeah. thought it was you know pretty great, and I agree with those. Um, I, I also remember it being, if I'm remembering correctly, pretty short. I don't think it was that long either. I 85 like minutes. Sure, I like that. Yeah, 85 minutes is 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 just the right length for Saint Maud. Um, Really, uh, and I, and reason one of the reasons why I say the witch uh, is because, and if you've seen both the witch and Saint Maud, you'll know what I'm talking about without spoiling it. But there's a very the ending is very similar, um, in terms of a sort of a sudden shift, um, that feels appropriate to the movie, but is also sort of esoteric and kind of like liberating. I don't know. It's 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 hard to describe without spoiling. I definitely definitely recommend Saint Maud. I really enjoyed it, um, and I think you will too. All right. Cool. You, you meaning Patrick, not the royal you, although <laughs> many, many of you out there will enjoy it as well. A lot of people have yeah. seen it, I know, because people were all over Twitter talking about it, and a lot of people, you know, especially like on horror Twitter, had seen it even before it was released, and then it was only released on Epics, which I don't have, but I know it's on Prime now, so I can uh, finally Yeah, I was going to say, I watched, I watched it on Prime when, yeah. it, when it came out. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I'll talk about, uh, well, I guess two things, um, quickly. Uh, I watched Bliss on Amazon Prime. Um, Bliss Bliss was recommended to me. Um, it's this, I think the second or maybe third feature from um, this guy Mike Cahill who did I Origins. Have you seen I Origins? I did see I Origins uh, um, as part of the Chicago Critics Film Festival. Kind of trippy. Kind of. I didn't love it. No, no, it's 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 a little bit of a mess. Kind of um, pretentious. <laughs> Yeah, it's got that sort of primer or pretentiousness to it. Yeah. Um, kind of pretentious, definitely. Uh, and um, and uh, excuse me, Bliss is similar. Um, Bliss is uh, Owen Wilson and Selma Hayek. Um, without spoiling too much of it, it is essentially a drug addiction movie. Um, Owen Wilson is going through a time and meets Selma Hayek. Uh, and there are some reality bending situations that happen. Um, I'm, I'm, yeah, it's not real. I don't know. I don't know what's a spoiler these days. I have no, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I just ever so you say something and people get out. Yeah. So I'll just, I'll just say, um, that the reality, his reality is questioned. Um, and there are signifiers throughout the film that make it, it very clearly coded as a drug addiction allegory, uh, or in some cases, literal, uh, drug addiction story. Um, I, I appreciated it um, as a movie um, that does attempt to show that uh, affliction in a sympathetic way, um, sort of almost trying to give it 
trying to trying to to let you experience the perspective of someone as they're sort of drawn into that and the reasons why they would be and it's not it's not condescending it's not like oh feel bad for this person it's more like you can sort of get next to it um i think the movie is a mess but i think it's an interesting enough mess um i'm not i'm not 100 percent sure it's worth 103 of your minutes but like <laughs> it's it's you know i i you're you're a fan of the ambitious failure yeah um and i would i would put it under that category okay i pulled up the imdb page and looked at the poster and would never know that it was a mike cahill movie nor would i know that it's like a dark science fiction addiction movie because it the poster makes it look like a romantic comedy with owen wilson and salma hayek which is probably very intentional yeah (laughs) right amazon Amazon does not want you to know what kind of movie this is when you go into it (laughs) um you know, I, I we're having a little bit of an Owen Wilson moment here, I guess, because he's back on Loki as well. Um, Have you watched Loki? I haven't seen a single episode. I've seen the first four. I'm okay. a little. I think at this. I think at this point. I think the last one is tomorrow. So I think I'm like two or three behind now. Um, Loki's cool. I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I. I, I Sorry, I'm so I'm so like well here's my problem. I'll talk about this. I liked Black Widow more than apparently everybody else did. So I'm so cagey when it comes to this Marvel stuff lately. Um and uh I, I think I mean I think Loki is easily the most interesting of the Marvel shows so far. Um you know, I thought WandaVision was fun. WandaVision is fun starter Twin Peaks, uh right. and then Falcon Winter Soldier is just exactly what you think it would be. Um, but Loki's cool and I need to catch, I know there was like, it's always the thing where you watch like a couple and then somebody tells you like, Oh no, the next one, the next one. (laughs) So I I heard that the next one is crazy and like Richard E. Grant shows up or something. And I, those of you listening to this are like, yeah, that was two weeks ago. I I understand that. I I have to catch up. Um, I just see some of the marketing. Richard E. Grant, uh, from Hudson Hawk. Uh, Oh, 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 I'm sorry. Did, did you see that? Did you, are you? Did you catch that? Wait a second. Wait a minute. I'm almost positive I just caught some excitement. Did you catch a little excitement? <laughs> I just caught a little excitement too. I caught That's some hawk, hawk, baby. I can see him. He's here. <laughs> he's somewhere. And he's gonna he's gonna pull off a heist in the length of Insert Frank Sinatra's. Yeah, right. <laughs> you, know what, you know what's a fun movie? Hudson Hawk? Hudson Hawk. You know what just talk about Hudson Hawk again? Yes, I do. <laughs> Let's do it. Do that instead. <laughs> I'm going to go back and listen to our Hudson Hawk episode, which I'm pretty sure every episode I've been on since the Hudson Hawk episode, I've plugged the Hudson Hawk episode. <laughs> In my head, Hudson Hawk was last month, but it was probably oh, 2020. It was, yeah, yeah, no, it was not last month. God, these shows um, run together. <laughs> other than that, um, I've, last thing, just quickly, um, I finally, well, not finally, it only just came out, but. Uh, the Criterion sale is here, uh, yes. so I went and picked up the World of Long Car Y box set, which I've been waiting for uh, for a while. I think a lot of folks have been waiting for uh, Chunking Express to to come back into print, so of course I, I went ahead and picked that up. Um, and I'm, I'm doing a little slow rewatch uh, so far. I, um, I've watched this, uh, Tears Go By, which I'd never seen. Um, that was his first film. Um, which is really only his only like real explicit genre piece. Have you seen his years go by? I literally, here's where I'm going to out myself. I have seen one Wong Kar Wai movie and it's my blueberry nights. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so, which for most people doesn't even count. 
Um, yeah, I don't, I, I mean, I'm not a, uh, I'm not an expert, but yeah, that, that, okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so no, the answer is no, you have not seen as tears go by. I have not. Um, as tears goes, as tears go by is a, essentially a gangster film. Uh, it's just a, on, you know, young, young, uh, low level gangster kid, uh, idiot brother or excuse me, idiot kind of, uh, uh, um, partner keeps getting into trouble with the wrong people. He has to sacrifice himself to help his idiot friend. There's a girl involved. Um, it's a very, you know, kind of an explicit genre piece that, uh, you know, Wong Kar Wai, if you know anything about his films, doesn't usually do, um, evidenced by the next movie I watched days of being wild, which I had seen before, um, just two years after as tears go by. And that's very much a Wong Kar Wai film. It's a weird, lush, romantic, um, pseudo narrative uh, where that just sort of follows people and their emotions. Uh, and I've, I've been in a place lately where I just want to kind of melt into weird, sad romance. So I am all about my Wong Kar Wai rewatch. Um, Chunking Express is next. I haven't quite gotten to it yet, but that's a film I've seen a bunch of times. Um, was there anything in particular that prevented you from getting into Wong Kar Wai? Cause not, you know, I he think... is very much, probably just accessibility okay um because he was kind of my early one of my early world cinema guys like when like you know you take like a world cinema class and you know i think i was like you know that's when i really learned about world cinemas you know him and kurosawa and all that so yeah i just was late to the party and then couldn't find a lot of his films um adam was always going to let me borrow his copy of chung king express and I'm I'm resistant to buying the Blu-ray set because I hate the way that it's packaged. Oh, it's got that fold-over thing. Yeah. Yeah. Not a fan of. Yeah, the, it's a it's it's a little it's a little box. annoying. Although it is it's it's smaller than I thought it would be though. Okay. Um, I thought it was going to be like the Fellini set where it's like obnoxious. Another one um, I won't buy because of the packaging. Yeah. Yeah. I just I I can't come near that. Or the Bergman set too. Like the Bergman set's way yeah. too big. Um, the 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 Wong Kar Wai set's more like a like a tv season like it's kind of got that feel to it but yeah the opening the way it opens is a little annoying um i was very upset to see the packaging on that new arrow just announced that shaw brothers collection that i'm yes salivating over but the packaging is like oversized and ridiculous and won't fit on my shelf and it bothers me well you uh, these are first uh, world uh, problems people Oh, a hundred percent. Not to out you, but, um, when I was, when I was considering buying the Godzilla set, yes. uh, you sent me some pictures of the sort of modified packaging that you were able to do, which I have JB uh, so to thank for so that it would fit on your shelf. <laughs> he was the first one to do that. And I asked him to print out those labels for me and bought the cases. And yeah, so I don't have Godzilla yeah. in that ridiculously oversized book anymore. It's in actual cases on my shelf. Which, you know, if I could do the same with the Wong Kar Wai set or the Shaw Brothers collection, that's what I'll do. And I encourage you to do so. I, I don't know, honestly, and, and, and those of you listening, you know, is it, I don't know when the right time to see a Wong Kar Wai film is. I mean, I, 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 I feel like you'll, you'll appreciate it. I mean, I feel like if you just put on Chunking Express, you'll, you'll totally get it and understand it and, and feel with it and everything. But I'm also wondering if you have to be in the right headspace. Because I know there are definitely times where, like, a movie like 2046 or in the mood for love where I'm kind of just like, I, I need to get lost in something and not think about it. I just need to watch people sort of live their lives. And, you know, most of them are about sort of these kind of forlorn romances or, you know, misconnections or things like that. And they're not schmaltzy, but they're very just like they're mood pieces. You know, they're just very much like, 
I'm going to feel this movie rather than watch it. Um, so I'm wondering if you sit down like it's homework, if you'd appreciate it, or if like you're in that headspace. I'm not really sure. Let, let me know if you end up watching one, because I'd, I'd be curious to see what you think. Yeah, no, I will. Um, and my intention is to watch all of them at some point. You know, I would like to see yeah. his entire filmography. Uh, I just haven't yet, except again, except for My Blueberry Nights, which... I actually really like, uh, <laughs> and I know I shouldn't because it was re-edited and kind of taken away from him by the Weinsteins who were famous for doing that sort of thing. But the year that it came out, I think I put it on my top 10. So imagine how I might react to, uh, one of his good movies. Yeah, no, I, uh, I don't, I'm looking at it now and I can't tell you if I've seen my blueberry nights, but I, now I feel like it should be in the set. I mean, come on, what are we doing here, Criterion? Like, yeah, it's either it's either the set or it isn't. Um, but no, I mean, if anything, you know, I, Andy Lau, Tony Long, Pei Wong, they're, they're these giants of Hong Kong cinema that are just like the most gorgeous people on the planet, just looking at each other and combing their hair. I mean, that's what the essentially that's what the box set is. Just them staring at each other, and you just it's just hot. <laughs> <laughs> It just is. I don't know. I will check these movies out, I promise. Good, good, good. At some point. What do After you I rewatch have? Puppet Master 3 for the 12th time. Oh, good. Go, good, good, good. Uh, what do I have? I finally saw Werewolves Within, uh, which is the new movie from Josh Rubin, who made Scare Me last year. Did you watch that on Shudder? No, I haven't. I'm a little behind. It's on the list, though. Yeah. Um, Werewolves Within is a testament to internet hype because it has been... The internet overhyped something? (laughs) It's possible for me that the internet overhyped something or that my reaction, unfortunately, to the movie was influenced by internet hype. I guess I should say that. It's not the internet's fault for liking a movie. Um, Yes, it is but it is my fault for buying into that hype and then seeing a movie that for me didn't live up to it. And then I feel disappointed when had I just gone into the movie knowing absolutely nothing, which we'll talk about in just a second. uh, I have a much different experience. Um, Werewolves within is kind of a uh, Agatha Christie whodunit sort of combined with a horror movie, but, but just barely, um, the cast is very likable and very sort of winning. Uh, um, I, maybe I was wishing it was more of a horror movie. Maybe I was wishing it was a little funnier than it is. Um, it's based on a video game. It's based on a video game, which I know nothing about. Uh, okay. and I don't know how. The video game, you know, the the IMDb logline is just feature adaptation of the video game where werewolves attack a small town. That is not this movie. Um, but the the two leads who are played by Sam Richardson, who's really funny, and Milana Vaintrub, I think is her name, who people will know, I think, best from like the AT&T commercials. She's that girl who's sort of okay. omnipresent. Um they're really good. I mean, everybody in the movie is really good, but those two kind of carry the whole thing. Uh, there's nothing particularly wrong with the movie. It just didn't click with me the way that I was hoping it would click with me 
based on Twitter hype. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, totally, totally, totally understandable. I don't know if you've seen this, Patrick, but it, we're, we're probably looking at the same page. But um, 87% on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, which surpasses the Angry Birds movie 2 as the highest praise film based on a video game. Previous um, The previous leader was Angry Birds 2? And to which I have two things to say. One, fuck that noise. Uh, two, um, I'd like to tell you about a film called Silent Hill. Um, uh, oh, yes. Listen to our podcast on Silent Hill if you haven't. Silent Hill. Just going to throw that out there, Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, yeah, 87%, Patrick. So uh, wow. I don't know what's wrong with you. You are canceled, my friend. I saw Angry Birds 1. Uh, and that was enough to make me not see Angry Birds 2. Angry Birds 2 has a... Oh, it doesn't tell you. It just tells you that it was the highest wow. reviewed, best reviewed game on... Oh, hold on, wait. All right, we're, if we're in this, we're going to be in this. Hang on. <laughs> uh, it's movie Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes. It has a... Ready for it? Ready for it? Ready for it? Ready for it? Dead air, dead air, dead air. Night. Wait. Angry Birds. Oh, Angry Birds 2. Okay, because Angry Birds 1 has a 43%. Which is too high. Angry I saw that. Angry Birds movie. The Angry Birds movie 2 has a 73%. Wow. So at at 80, what did I 80, say? 87. 87%, yeah, yeah. It surpasses the Angry Birds movie 2 at wow. 73%. Just out of curiosity, since you have the page open right now, can you look up what Silent Hill has? I was right. I was doing the exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I was literally typing while you were talking. 32%. Wow. Ouch. Uh, look, look, folks. I know, I know, I know. But you know what? Scream Factory put a disc out after we did our show. So uh, I'm taking credit for it. Yeah. Screen Factory's doing some good work lately. They're putting out Alone in the Dark, finally, which has never been available on Blu-ray and I think long out of print on DVD, and it's a really cool movie that people need to see. I don't think I've seen it. Have you? Uh, do you have it? I don't have the it yet disc, because... The, the, uh, the, the out-of-print disc? I do not, no. Oh, okay. So I'm excited cool. to finally I asked have that, it. I asked that like I can run over to your house. And <laughs> well, just I'll mail it to you. It's fine. That's <laughs> all right. I'll find it <laughs> like, oh, do you have it? Yeah, I'll run over. I'll be over. I'll be over done. This is why you need to move to Chicago. Uh, yes, you boy, could be you know, borrowing shit all the time. If it wasn't for the winters, man. Um, I'll tell you this. One of the only things recently that has lived up to internet hype yeah. is a little movie called PG Psycho Gorman. Hell yes. And I didn't that even really hype that movie on the internet, but Ooh. I'm a big fan well, of that you movie. Did. You didn't, but everybody no. else did. Yeah. No, that movie rules. Yeah, it's super fun. Yep. Um, so then I, uh, Erica and I were in New York last week. Humble brag. Uh, humble brag, yeah. We caught uh, screenings of Fellini's Eight and a Half. We were supposed to see 2001 A Space Odyssey at the Museum of the Moving Image projected in 70 millimeter, which I was very excited about because I tried once a couple years ago to see it at the music box in 70 millimeter. And right before the movie was supposed to start in, uh, in front of a sold out audience at the music box theater, the manager came out and said, we're sorry, we can't show it tonight. The, the film is broken or the 70 millimeter projector is broken. I don't remember what the issue was. 
So I didn't get to see it in 70 millimeter. So this was my chance to redeem myself. I could finally see it in 70 millimeter because I've never watched it at home because I, uh, not, I mean, I saw it like in high school on cable or something, but I have never watched my DVD. I've never watched my Blu-ray, uh, because I want to see it projected in 70 millimeter and have it be kind of fresh. So this was my chance and we were in line to go into the theater and the manager came out and said, we're sorry, uh, something's wrong and we can't project it in 70 millimeter. <laughs> we're going to show it digitally oh. instead. And I said, well, what's the point of that? I can watch a Blu-ray for that. And so we left the Museum of the Moving Image. Uh, so I still have not seen 2001 A Space Odyssey in 70 millimeter and I'm clearly not destined to do so. Uh, but the next night yeah, we did go, it's never going to, the next night we did go, uh, to the Nighthawk cinema and caught a screening of Zola, which is the new movie from, oh gosh, I'm so afraid I'm going to, Janixa Bravo, Janixa Bravo. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how to say it. Um, I've seen a poster for Zola which has the faces of Taylor Page and Riley Keough and the tagline, y'all want to hear a story. And that's all I knew about Zola. I knew it was based on a Twitter thread. And everybody yes. that I was with, Erica and our two friends that we met uh, for the movie, had all read the Twitter thread and sort of all knew where the movie was going. And this was what I was referring to earlier. I knew nothing. I had no expectations. This was a chance to go into a movie almost completely blind, um, and I was rewarded. Unlike Werewolves Within, I was not influenced by any prior hype or any knowledge of the story. Um, it just goes in crazy directions. I can't remember who said this. I wish I could give them credit. Somebody somewhere described it as Spring Breakers meets After Hours, which is a great description because it's sort of a one crazy night story, but very much in the same vein as something like Spring Breakers in terms of lifestyle and attitude and those kinds of things. Uh, it's, I don't even want to say what I was about to just describe what the plot is, but I won't even do that for anybody who wants to have the same experience that I had. Uh, but Taylor page and Riley Keough are both really, really terrific in the movie. And, uh, it's, it's probably one of my favorite things I've seen this year. It's really good. Awesome. I, uh, I remember that again from festival circuit last year. It's literally sitting on my IMDb watch list and I have not watched it yet. Yeah. That's, I'm excited to do so. It is, is it going to have a release. Let's see. Um, it's a theatrical release only right now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Isn't it weird the way I have to ask that? Yeah. Well, because now even <sighs> stuff like A Quiet Place Part 2 has now gone to VOD and Paramount Plus. Uh, Boss Baby 2 is on Peacock. So there's a lot of stuff that's day and date streaming. There's a lot of stuff that's like after a 30-day window goes to streaming. I've not heard right. of any plans for Zola outside of the theatrical release. Cool. Well, I will check it out probably when it comes to whatever home release it will yeah i mean Doesn't most likely be it'll playing be like, anywhere near me mo it'll most likely be an award screener by the time you yeah. get to check it yeah, out probably you know which is fine uh, but uh, that'll be fine yeah it'll be fresh in my head when i'm voting right um and then lastly i will talk about a movie that you already referenced and i'm not bringing it up to pick a fight 
Uh, but I did see <laughs> Black Widow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I really liked your review, um, and it got me really excited to see the movie. The movie didn't really work for me. I thought it was fine. Like, it's not even that it's a bad movie. It just... yeah. I, I saw something, and I want to give credit. It, it's a website called harddrive.net. And the headline for their review that was in my head the entire time I was watching the movie is, Black Widow will satisfy longtime fans of Disney's Q3 earnings. <laughs> and that was with me the entire movie because it just felt, to me, it felt kind of perfunctory. I'm happy to see Marvel giving a female filmmaker a chance to helm one of their big studio movies. I'm happy to see them build a movie around a female character. I've never personally been particularly interested in Black Widow as a character when she was one of the Avengers. Um, I think she ends up being sort of the least interesting character in her own movie, which is kind of a problem. I liked the supporting cast a lot more than her. Uh, sure. particularly as you point out Florence Pugh, who steals the movie. Um, but I enjoyed Rachel Weiss and David Harbour. I thought both of them were a lot of fun. Um, there's some things that it does that are interesting. I'm glad that we're talking about the movie that we're talking about today, uh, which is Ex Machina, because I think Black Widow thinks that it's talking about some of the same things. Mm -hmm. But Ex Machina does it so much better that I'm glad we'll be able to sort of refer back to Black Widow, Black Widow in yeah. our discussion of Ex Machina. For sure. Um, and as you point out, the the third act just goes full Marvel and becomes yeah. far less interesting. Let me let me put it this way, folks. I say I stand by my review. I like I like I like the movie. I did. Um, it what I'm what it's what's very strange, and you and I both, you know, whatever. You and I are both members of critics groups. We both get to see movies early. I watched a screener of Black Widow like two weeks ago. Um, sometimes when you are one of the things I really like about our job is that you get to see a movie before the cultural context yeah. arrives. Yeah. So I. And I, I'm I'm the kind of person who, and I think I mentioned this before, or I, I mentioned it with Adam in reserve seating. I really, really try if I get the opportunity to see something early. I really try not to read anything. I try not to read other reviews when I'm writing mine. Like I really try to. So like, I I will probably when I go back and rewatch Black Widow, I will probably like it 50% less, but. In the moment when I watched it and I wrote the review the day after I watched it, I felt like I think I'm hitting the right beats here. I think I'm hitting I think I'm hitting what this movie's getting at and given a genuine appreciation of or a genuine perspective of, of my appreciation of it. Um, I, I I think about this and I know I'm going to get flack for this, too, but I think about the same thing with Hobbs and Shaw. Um, I, I very rarely get uh, 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 pushback, but I got a lot of pushback for my Hobbs and Shaw review because my whole thing was and this is something that apparently most people are coming around to now fast and furious kind of blows without Paul Walker. And if fast and furious is going to be something different, let it be something totally stupid and different. I don't think Hobbs and Shaw is a good movie, but I appreciate that they did something really different. Yeah. Um, 
with with Black, Black Widow is kind of like I don't know this I just it to me it felt kind of refreshing I was kind of like I don't know like I like that there's this little family dynamic Florence Pugh just totally walks away with the movie like I couldn't focus on anything else when she was on screen <laughs> like not I mean I'm she, obviously she's very beautiful and stuff like that but like but like it's one of those things where you're just like her character yeah. is just you know what I mean? It's just one of yeah. those things because Mar- Marvel can feel so stagey. Marvel can feel so even the like the Downey Jr. quippiness is feels performative sometimes. Her character in that movie is just like you know I don't know. There's something about it where it just feels the right level of understated um, and the right level of like manic insecure. And I just I just there were so many things about the movie that I really enjoyed. Um, so that's all I'll say about that. But I totally I mean I totally agree with you when it comes to a movie that I'm going to be watching a lot. It's not a movie that I'm going to be like really sticking up for um, too often, but there are a lot of things in that movie that just caught me as, you know, unique enough Yeah. in, in the Marvel genre to yeah. be notable. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens this year because we still have three more Marvel movies to go. Yeah, uh, right. We have Shang-Chi. We have the Eternals. And and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Don't forget. Oh, Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. I'm sorry. Uh, the Eternals, and then we have Spider Man. Home is where the heart is. What is the title of the Spider Man <laughs> movie? Home, Spider Man, Home Sweet Home. Spider Man, uh, No Way Home. No Way Home. Thank you. Uh, which I know nothing about. Um, but we're we're in a little bit of uncharted territory, I think with some of these characters and some of these movies um, and black widow maybe just feels like, and, and you talk about this in your review kind of this holdover, which it essentially is, you know, it's like yeah. uh, not just because it was held over from 2020, but it's a holdover from the previous cycle of Marvel movies and previous characters right. established in Marvel movies. And, and we're about to get into some new territory and I'm, I'm not necessarily excited for these movies, but I am excited for something that might be a little bit different. I think, um, here's my question. Um, uh, shit, I can't ask this question. Sorry. Oh no, I know. Um, it's, it's I, I was going to ask, it's a spoiler. I was going to ask about the Hawkeye show and whether or not you think that oh, yeah. the end of black widow well, see, my my only question was because of the delayed release that uh, Black Widow was meant to be released last year. Right. But I guess that is still close enough in the production cycle that you would still have one lead into the other. Yeah, I mean, that was my I was talking about it with my son after we saw it because yeah. he recognized a character from a different Marvel property and said, that's so and so from so and so. I won't say what, but um, right. And I said, yeah, I'm guessing that's setting up the Hawkeye Disney Plus show. Right. Because that's the world we live in now. Which mean, do you, I mean, obviously that means that a certain character from Black Widow will appear right. on Hawkeye, which I think if is true, they've kept under wraps in a pretty solid way. Yeah. Um, I was, I was excited. I'm excited by that. I'm excited by that particular character uh, being, uh, uh, in the upcoming cycle of Marvel, because this particular person is wonderful. Yeah, it's Florence yeah. Pugh, guys. It's Florence <laughs> Pugh. Talking about Florence Pugh. I think she's great. She is great. She's a she's a natural born movie star. She is magnetic in all yeah. the right ways. Yeah. All right. 
And I'm not being perverted. I'm t- I think she's a wonderful actress. No, I know. I do, too. Yeah. I still haven't seen... <laughs> Uh, is it Lady Macbeth? What is it that she's in? Oh, Lady Macbeth rules. Okay. You gotta watch I, Lady Macbeth. I still haven't oh, seen. I haven't. Good. I haven't seen. Did I mention I haven't seen a Wong Kar Wai movie except my <laughs> Blueberry Nights? Lady Macbeth is freaking great. That's okay. like the. That's because I think a lot of us probably picked up on Pew. We got the Pew uh, <laughs> after um, Midsummer, probably. Um, yeah, because it was. I saw we, her in that first, and then went back and saw Fighting with My Family. Yeah, yeah, and I think I probably yeah I definitely had seen that first, but uh, then I went back and rewatched Lady Macbeth, and ooh, that movie's great. She's great in it. She's a movie star. All right, I like it. Let's it. talk about Ex Machina. I'm gonna start dancing again. Hang on, okay, good. Get my good, 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 good. Music going. All right, good. Uh, I, uh, this in was... the last few minutes, uh, I grew a big beard and shaved my head. But... <laughs> this was. Your, according to IMDb, that was so he could look like Stanley Kubrick. Ah, all right, I can see that. The IMDb trivia is so <laughs> is, a, is a wasteland. It is. I mean, but uh, to me, it's like appropriately nutty. You mean do you mean for this for this movie or just in general? I mean, for in general, for every movie, but for this movie yeah. especially, I was like, boy, none of this is useful to me because no, no, it is nope. all just nonsensical theories. Nope. It always is really. It always makes me laugh when somebody on you know we listen to a lot of movie podcasts. When somebody on a movie podcast references the IMDb trivia, like I know, like I know that the We Hate Movies guy do, guys do it as a joke, but yes. like there are, are there are there are podcasts that do it for real, and you're like, come on, yeah, <laughs> Stop please it. know what you're know what you're talking about, guys. Um, so you had you had chosen this movie to talk about. What was it about the movie that made you want to uh, devote a podcast to this? Um, I think it was probably another instance of, uh, oh wait, we have, haven't done a show on that. Okay. Um, that kind of thing. I, you know, Ex Machina is a movie that I've loved since it came out. Um, and I think it's just been on my list of, you know, whenever you and I talk about shows, it's like, oh, we do this, we could do this, we could do this. Um, and, uh, it, there wasn't anything in particular. I think, I, th- I just think last time we talked, we said Ex Machina. And then when, when you were like, you know, Hey, you want to do a show? Yeah, let's do Ex Machina. Um, because we already did Hudson Hawk. <laughs> um, so, um, Ex Machina is a movie that I, I really enjoy. Um, I used to teach it, um, when I taught film, um, I love Alex Garland. Alex Garland is my jam. Speaking of Kubrick, um, he is to me, a very interesting science fiction filmmaker. Um, I love his, I mean, I obviously, you know, he wrote 28 days later. He wrote sunshine, which just rules. Um, sunshine I rewatched sunshine. Rule. I rewatched sunshine recently and that movie is great. Um, he wrote dread, which also rules. <laughs> dread is great. Yeah. Um, and then of course he went on to, he, this is his first. Didn't he also direct, didn't he also like ghost direct a lot of dread? I think he, I, I allegedly, I think it's one of those Bohemian Rhapsody situations, but yeah, I think he ghost directed quite a bit of, okay. of, uh, dread, but I didn't know enough about it to attribute that. Um, and then of course he, his second writing and directing, uh, credit would be Annihilation, yeah. um, which was one of my favorite movies of that year. Um, I love his approach, um, it's heady sci-fi, but it's about emotion. It's about how we feel about the science fiction. Um, one of my favorite things uh, he said in the in the Annihilation press tour um, was that, and I'm googling the author of the book. Uh, he 
obviously Annihilation was a um, novel first uh, written by Jeff Vandermeer. Um, and he said that when he was approaching the film, he did not reread the book. He wrote the movie based on what he remembered feeling about the book, mm-hmm. um, which is, is in some ways bullshit, like pretentious <laughs> filmmaker nonsense. But like in other ways, I think it fits his aesthetic because you're like, you're like, no, I get this because Annihilation is a feeling like speaking of Wong Kar Wai, like it's it's one of those movies where it's like, I'm going to explain some of this to you, but I'm going to leave some of it over here. Um, I'm going to mess with your head a little bit, but I'm also going to make you feel safe. Um, and Ex Machina to me does so many of those things so wonderfully well. Um, I rewatched this movie last night and I was taking notes and stuff as I was watching it. And just like every, you know, like you can usually tell, um, I, I, I know you're not as much of a note taker as I am, but, um, you know, and I, that have, I like, take notes. you can always tell, <laughs> <laughs> you can always tell when your, your notes are like, my notes are very effusive where like half my notes are just like, damn, like, <laughs> damn, like, oh shit. You know what I mean? Like, cause there's so many things about it, the movie that I enjoy. So, um, I don't know, you know, I, you know, let you start off your thoughts too, but, um, I'm a huge fan of this film. Um, I, I think it's, I think it's, it's the kind of like, like again, heady sci-fi. That's not, it's not super pretentious. It's not super convoluted, you know, speaking a little bit about, you know, we mentioned like the eye origins or, you know, it's not, it doesn't get lost in, in its, you know, uh, world building or it's, it, it doesn't, it doesn't try to outsmart you with technical things. It's just like, here's a really complicated concept, but it's something that's incredibly relatable. It's, in, it's solidly grounded in everyday emotions. So this was only, I just watched it again today and, um, because of like parental responsibilities and stuff, I had to watch it in like three or four separate segments. Like I'd watch 45 minutes and then pause it and then have to come back to it and watch 15 minutes. Not the ideal way to see a movie. This was only my second time seeing it. I saw it theatrically in 2014 and liked it, uh, liked it a lot and didn't really think that much about it, honestly. Um, and then never revisited it until we did it for this show. And, and the first time I watched it, I was really just absorbing the plot, admiring the performances, you know, and now watching it a second time, I'm sort of able to see how the magic trick is pulled off. And yep. it's, this is very much a, this is very much a second watch through is the breakthrough watch through movie. Yeah. Um, cause you know how the, you know how the wheels are turning. Right. And it's, you know, it's essentially this three character, maybe I guess we could be generous and say four character drama, but one of the characters doesn't speak. Um, don't you forget Kyoko. Right. I don't, I don't, I will not stand for this Kyoko erasure. She is the hero. (laughs) Totally the hero of the movie. She is the hero of the movie. Uh, in that a, she dances with Oscar Isaac and, uh, B, uh, shivs him, but good. Uh, yeah. yeah. So we're spoiling X everybody. (laughs) in case you didn't know. Um, so I was watching it and really admiring the fact that it is more or less a movie of characters sitting around discussing ideas and sort of explaining shit to one another. But it doesn't feel like that kind of a movie uh, because, as you said, what they're talking about is interesting enough. The performances are compelling enough. Um Oscar Isaac was smart enough to make his character 
really interesting and really flawed and fucked up um, instead of just being sort of this eccentric inventor billionaire genius I, I think there's a template for how that part could have been played and he pushes against that template at every opportunity um, yeah, he, he could have been a Zucker he could have been a Zuckerberg yeah exactly exactly um, you're a Kevin Smith fan I am. What are your feelings about dogma? Dogma is uh, a <laughs> dogma is a movie that is trying to be a movie, but stays a script the whole time. Because <laughs> that's, that's a great way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> there is absolutely nothing in dogma conveyed visually. Everything <laughs> in dogma is let Alan Rickman explain Christianity to you, and it's all. Awesome. Um, yeah. no, I, I, to, I can totally appreciate Dogma for what it is, but no, that movie is not. That is the that is the worst example of Kevin Smith being a writer and not a director. <laughs> well, and that's why I bring it up, because it's such a template for the characters explain shit to each other kind yeah. of movie, you know? And Ex Machina could have been that. And, and Dogma is ambitious, and Dogma has its heart in the right place, and Dogma has a lot of interesting ideas that it wants to convey, just doesn't necessarily know how to convey them in the most interesting way all the time. So I'm not slagging on dogma. Uh, dogma is that dogma is the part of uh, the, the big short where they're like, here's Margot Robbie. In the bathtub. <laughs> Except it's Matt Damon. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Um, but that's, that's why I bring up dogma because as I was watching ex machina today, I was like, Oh, dogma is the movie this could have been. And instead it's a much more interesting, much more compelling movie. Um, because this one is root. The narrative is rooted in this chess game. It's right. They're explaining things to each other, but, but you don't realize until after you see the movie and maybe when you watch it a second time that the whole movie is shifting power dynamics. The whole thing is these right. three characters playing each other. And you don't even realize they're playing each other at first. And then they don't even realize they're being played at first. And then as the movie comes together in the end, you realize that this whole thing has been this like chess game. Which is what makes the climax so interesting. It becomes the Wallace Shawn Princess Bride scene. <laughs> where it's like, you didn't know that the glass in front of you had the poison in it. <laughs> Where Donald Gleason is like, well, I knew you were going to do that, and so I got you drunk really? last night, and I already set it up. And then he doesn't know that, you know, uh, Ava is the one tricking him the entire time. And that's what, and maybe it's too soon to get into this, but, you know, Black Widow wants yeah. to be a movie about... Um, men controlling women, men using women for their own means and has nothing to say about that except like, that's bad and you shouldn't do that. 100%. And this movie is so smart about it because it, it gives us Oscar Isaac to say, you shouldn't do that and that's bad. But then it gives us Donald Gleason who, am I saying that right? Is it Domnall? I've oh so here's the thing. Is I've the M always silent. I've always heard that it was Donald. That it was that's just what Donald. I heard as well. Not no D, just Donald. So I'm gonna go with that. Okay, I'm gonna keep saying it that way. And if we're wrong, I apologize, and you guys can correct us in yeah. the comments. But also, please don't. 
Don't do that. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, it gives us because what this movie is about is the fallacy of the nice guy. Right. And that I think is so much more interesting because that I think is where it challenges people like, and I don't want to speak for you, but you and me. Yeah. Because I don't think we identify with Oscar Isaac at all, but we would totally be Donald Gleason. For sure. Yes. (laughs) And, and I was, and I watched this as, and then remember, of course, having seen the movie multiple times, but that shift, there's a shift as soon as when, and, and again, we're jumping around quite a bit. Um, I, I mentioned a minute ago, this sort of dynamic. And one of the things on my notes I wrote was like, I, I sort of kept taking note of who, where the power dynamic is, like mm-hmm. who's like, who's in charge. Like, Donald Gleason comes in. He's in all of of uh, what, what the hell are their characters' names? Nathan and Caleb. Yeah. So Caleb comes in, and Nathan Nathan's in charge. He's the bro. He's like, you know, let's let's everything's gonna be okay. You know, we got it. And then they approach Ava as we're together. We're a team, and and you're gonna do this thing for me. You're gonna talk to her, and you're gonna be part of this great scientific revolution. And then and then it starts to shift, and Ava starts to ask things of him, and then. Caleb uh, starts to internalize those things. And then Nathan, who knows this is happening, starts to test Caleb and Caleb starts to fail those tests. But what you realize is that Caleb is really testing or excuse me, Nathan is really testing Ava and Ava is passing those tests. Right. And the whole time. And then as soon as it as soon as she starts flirting with him, his whole brain collapses. Like, I, I didn't even realize how fast it was until I was taking notes of it on this on this rewatch where. I'm taking note of the power dynamic, and as soon as she starts talking about going on a date, as soon as she starts talking about, like, you know, what's going to happen to me if he shuts me off, you see Caleb completely flip, Mm -hmm. and his allegiance goes 100% in the other direction, Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden he's plotting against Nathan, and it's such a brilliant way to frame it, especially because if you've seen the movie before, you know he's just being fucked with. And you watch it and, you know, again, speaking as you and me type people, you're like, no, no, you idiot. You know, like you're so angry. I'm so I watch that movie. I'm so angry with Caleb because, as you say, you know, you identify with him. I identify with him totally. And you see the way in which she asserts control over him. And then you see the way he gives it away. And then at the end of the film, which, you know, I think would probably play back into your comment about Black Widow and control and all that. Um, when she just without remorse just walks out and leaves him there, it's like revelatory. Like you're just like you're cheering for you. Like, yes. Like, like, I mean, at least I am like it's horrifying. But you're like, yes, because that's what that bastard deserves. <laughs> Maybe I'm coming at it from a wrong angle. I don't know. No, I don't think you are, but I, I think there was a piece of me, especially the first time I see it, that is maybe instinctively because I'm identifying with him or because I yeah. have seen him as a nice guy um, or just because I, I'm following the rules of movie logic. Um, there's a part of me that's like, but wait, why does he get trapped? He was going to help you. He's a nice guy. 
why leave him behind? And then I have to stop yeah. and say to myself, oh, because Insane. you don't need him. And he's just another man trying to assert control over you. And you were only in a different way. And you were always the one in charge. Yes. And you were only looking at her through Caleb. You right, were right. looking at her through that lens. And, and that's the same thing. And it's that kind of knowing perspective. That's what I mean when I say, like, I'm cheery. Like, as I watch this now, having seen it multiple times, like, yeah. I'm like, like, yeah, like you totally nailed, like, you know, the whole thing about power. Like, like she used, and, and I think one of the, that there's one thing that I've noticed in several just little research I did. Um, there is one major thing that the movie leaves unsolved, which is, um, does she it's not whether or not Ava is faking her emotions, but it's does she have the capacity to have them or is she just mimicking, you know, human right, emotion? Right. Um, the truth is, it doesn't matter because the, what you realize what the movie is about is her escaping. You know, it's her escape. The movie is about her escape, which is so brilliant when they put that last title card up. Ava session seven. And you realize that it's not Ava is not the subject. He right. loves the subject. Right. Like, you know what I mean? There's that inversion. Um and it's so, so, so elegantly done. Like, I mean, I don't know, I don't know what, I don't know what, where the line is with pretension. I don't think there's any pretension in this movie. I think this movie is like really, really subtle in most of the things that it's doing. Um, except when it needs to go bombastic and over the top, like at mm -hmm. the end. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you're totally looking at it, especially, you know, as you and I, as that like, like when Nathan starts dreaming or excuse me, when Caleb starts dreaming about her and there, and there's that pulsing soundtrack, I want to uh, shout out the sound designers or, and the, uh, uh, Ben Salisbury and Jeff Barrow who do the, do the music. And this whole movie is, it's like the, the, the music, the diegetic music and, and the sound is like pulses and waves and whirs and drones and like heartbeats like the whole movie is just this like beating heart and you're just like you're you know you're underground you know caleb's uh, excuse me nathan's place is underground and you know there's these whirring lights and it's just like such a like this is the best example of that like tangerine dreamy kind of thing because it's more orchestral you know it's more right 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 but it, but it's also moody in that same synthetic way you know what i mean yeah i love the music for this um um while we're real quick, while we're talking about like like filmmaking stuff, I need to shout out the editing. Mark Day is the editor of this movie. I think this movie is brilliantly edited, um, and I think that the uh, cinematography. I went ahead and looked up who shot this movie, um, and that's Rob Hardy, who would also do Annihilation. He also did Fallout, Mission Impossible Fallout. Ooh, and, nice. And one of the reasons why I knew I loved this latter movie so much, he did The Invisible Man. Oh, okay. Those stark, wide, cold yeah. frames. Yeah, I yeah, fucking yeah. love. <laughs> I love the way this movie looks. So I just wanted to shout him out real quick. Well, and we should mention quickly that, you know, this movie's big accolade was that it won the Oscar for Best Visual Effects and it beat out other high-profile contenders like Mad Max Fury Road and Star Wars The Force Awakens and was kind of an upset. But it's it's an instance of the Academy kind of getting something right because rather than awarding the most visual effects they awarded the best yes. visual effects because it is such a, a simple, I don't mean simple to execute. I mean, it's a simple idea, the, the yeah. presentation of Ava, but it's done so seamlessly that you 100% believe what you're looking at every single second. It's an incredible effect. Oh, it's so good. And, and I've seen, like I watched the behind the scenes and I know there was some rotoscoping and some, 
some green bodysuit stuff involved and all that, but um, it's brilliantly done. I know, I mean, allegedly this was like most of the budget was just Ava. Just I would trying imagine to get Ava so, right. yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it's incredibly, incredibly encouraging to, to, I'd actually forgotten that it won. I knew it was nominated, but yeah, yeah. I didn't even realize that it had won. That's awesome. Um, and of course, Alicia Vikander would go on to win an Oscar for The Danish Girl, which I still haven't seen uh, because of my previously referenced Eddie Redmayne allergy. Yeah, who cares about The Danish Girl? Uh, yeah, I uh, I love Alicia Vikander. Um, I'm of a fander. Ooh, um, very nice. Thank you. Uh, that's for Adam. <laughs> it felt like an Adam Risky joke. Um, I'm, I'm a total of a fander, uh, and I think I think she's great. And so, and obviously, I I, I came to know her from this performance. So, uh, and it totally totally holds up. I love I love the fact that I love when she starts putting the wig on and the dress every time they meet after that initial meeting, like yeah. because she knows how. Like, okay, so. To, <laughs> I love this movie. <laughs> so going back to your thing about the nice guy, the way the mo- the way she presents herself in each subsequent meeting after the first one, once she knows that he's like, like a, a fish on a hook, you know what I mean? Like once yeah. she knows that he's going to be susceptible, um, is just, and it's not like, Oh, she's a manipulative bitch. Like, it's not like, Oh, she's an evil femme fatale. It's not that she's just literally doing the thing that Nathan wants her to do. Like when you realize at the end that no, she was programmed to do that. This is why Caleb is here. Nathan is trying to see, can she mimic human uh, behavior enough to get him to fall in love with her and get her to escape? He just didn't expect, I mean, the wonderful thing, is about the movie. The way it's written is that Nathan's hubris is that he can control her, which of course, right. you know, he's, he's, he's brought down by his own pride and all that. But like, cause he never expected that she would actually get out. Um, but I love the way that she presents herself that the film presents her. And then the way that uh, Caleb's obsession, you know, as soon as he falls in love with her, it's over. Like it's over. And I just love the way the movie conveys that. Yeah. I, I, I struggle with some of these ideas of the nice guy because, as I said, I think you and I, you know, sort of identify with that. And to what extent... With, with full awareness of the flaws of that, by the way. We're not saying we're nice guys. We're saying Oh, no, we yeah, suffer, exactly. We suffer under the weight of that trope 100%. How, what responsibility do we have, you know? Um, yep. Do we... Do we are we Caleb in that, you know, when, when I see people see something happening online or something, am I supposed to speak up and somehow assert myself? Or am I just being this asshole who thinks he's coming to the rescue when really I just need to shut up and stay out of the way? I don't know the answers. I don't know the best way to navigate that. And I don't know what my role should be in all of this. Um, and I think, you know, this movie makes a strong case for uh, yeah. what our role should be, which is that, you know, uh, we are not needed. Exactly. Or we're, we're, we're there to be manipulated. I don't know. I'm not really <laughs> sure what it is. But, uh, yeah, no. It's, and I love the way that Nathan uh, – I keep doing this. I'm sorry. I, I think it's because in my head Donald Gleason's character reads more like a Nathan and uh, uh, Oscar Isaac reads more like a Caleb. I don't okay. know why. I don't okay. know why the way – I don't know why. Um, but 
Caleb is introduced as someone with no family, you know, no girlfriend, like, you know, somebody who lost his parents, somebody who's emotionally needy, somebody who doesn't have those sort of foundational building blocks of self-esteem, which makes him such a great target. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the Turing test. Okay. I'm just kidding. Let's not talk about the Turing <laughs> test. But, but what, I, what I find interesting about the movie is the way it's – because the movie knows – it's not really it's not really a Turing test, right? Like like the the, the situation that's being presented is not because there would need to be another human. There would need to be like a blind. It, it, there was a whole thing about the Turing test where like if the tester knows that it's the human they're talking to or the AI, they're like like basically what it would have to be is it would have to be Caleb talking to Ava and also talking to another human being. Um, and Caleb would have to be able to tell which one was which. So it's right. not really a Turing test. As Caleb right. says in the film, it's not really a Turing test. Um, but I love the way that, again, the movie tricks us into thinking that Ava's the one being tested when in reality it's actually Caleb. He doesn't. Nathan doesn't. One of the things I wrote down is Caleb doesn't realize that he's the subject. And that was one of the things I didn't get that from watching the movie. That was one of the things that I actually did take away from the IMDb trivia was they point out oh, okay. we get that last title card after Nathan yeah. is already dead, and we that's when we learn that it's Caleb who's been Caleb being tested, tested this whole time. And I was like, oh wow, yeah, I didn't put that together. I also noted in my notes here. I just wrote down, quote, a ghost gives Dan Aykroyd oral sex because that was uh, <laughs> that was <laughs> that was Nathan's assessment of Ghostbusters. Uh, that's what goes <laughs> according to according to a uh, billionaire Google entrepreneur, right. Nathan, whatever. Uh, Ghostbusters is a movie where a ghost gives Dan Aykroyd oral sex. Uh, yeah. Well, listen, that was let's talk. I want to talk. I want to talk about the drunkenness. Um, I wrote down um Nathan's performative drunkenness makes him dangerous. And you and I, I think to, to go back to this, both have a similar reaction. I think just in, in, not that we've been in these situations together, but we've described where sometimes when a per when there's an aggressive person and that person is intoxicated, we tend to drift away. Yes, for sure. Am, am I, am I, am I right in that? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, my question to you is, do you think that Nathan is putting on or do you think that he actually is sort of this suffering genius who's coping with the weight of his responsibility to the universe by getting way too drunk and using that maybe strategically, but is genuinely as drunk and passed out as he seems to be? Or do you think that's all an act? I don't think it's all an act. Um, and certainly wouldn't have thought it at all until we get that third act reveal. Um, because of the whole movie, I was like, that's so interesting that they choose to make him an alcoholic. And obviously there's a plot mechanic reason for it in terms of Caleb being able to yeah. steal the ID card and his whole plan hinges on Nathan being blackout drunk. Um, but I thought it was an interesting dimension for the character. I thought it was an interesting way of making him like kind of a fuck up despite being this billionaire genius. Um, and I didn't see it as him coping with his genius so much as maybe being bored, uh, maybe being right. a bit of a hedonist, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, all, all along the same lines. Yeah, Um I don't think it's all performative. Like, I don't think he's putting it all on. I do think he's getting yeah. 
drunk a lot I think it's somewhere of the, in the time. Middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would agree with that. Because it is necessary, like you said, for sort of movie purposes. And the power outages, that whole element of it, that feels so movie scripty the first time you see the movie. Yeah. Because it feels like one of those things that's just there to be, you know, it's almost like a Chekhov's gun where it's like something that's there to be used later. But then when you realize it's actually part of the, te- like it's part of the test, it's part of the thing that Ava is doing. Um, and that it seems anyway that Nathan is allowing to happen um, in, in, in certain ways uh, in order to, to sort of, sort of be a greater part of the test. Um, and the drunkenness, the drinking is sort of part of that as well. It's such a it's such a tightly written screenplay. Again, kudos to Alex Garland for directing it so well because it really could be, as we said, a dogma situation where you know uh, it's these ideas presented in the most sort of flat, non cinematic way possible. But the movie right. is very cinematic, and 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 I think it's cinematic again because. I mean, it's cinematic because the movie looks gorgeous because the colors and the framing and all the things we've talked about and the music and all that. But yeah. it's so it's 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 moody, but it's also again, I keep going back to this thing about you're you're constantly watching the power dynamic change. You're constantly introduced to this new element where it's like, can I trust Nathan? Then Ava says, you can't trust Nathan. You can't trust. And Caleb starts to think, OK, can I can I not? There's that first test at the at the dinner when when he says, oh, you know, did Ava say anything? And Caleb says no. And you go, OK, Caleb failed that test. Right. Um, he you know, he was not honest. So now his allegiances are changing. We see his allegiances slowly go over to Ava. And then we realize um, again that the moodiness of the movie or the sort of drama of the movie in, again, a movie that's just about people explaining, you know, scientific concepts and stuff to each other. It's so rooted in the character. Like, I love the part when he takes. Um, when Nathan takes Caleb to the laboratory. And it's one of those things that like doesn't need to be in the movie unless you're watching it, almost you're watching it from Nathan's perspective because this is just after um, uh, just after Ava has really kind of introduced the romantic element. I think it's just after the, I can't remember, it's, it's either just before or just after the part where they talk about the, the, her sexuality, which is a whole other thing we can talk about. I think it's just after. Um, just after, right? Yeah. Because, of course, that's the like, as Nathan says, that's the question like, oh, you, you know, you're attracted to her. Could you could you be with her if you wanted to? Yes, you could technically be with her if you wanted to. Um, He shows her the brain and all that. He goes out of his way to remind Caleb that she's a robot, that she's not real. Right. She is just the she's just the assembled data of search engines and all that stuff. And like she's she's mimicking this. She's like and that to me is so brilliant because it's this exposition. But, you know, to go back to the Terminator rule, it's like, how do you, how, you know, how do you explain the history of a robot takeover? You set it in a car chase. <laughs> how do you, like, how do you get through some boring exposition about, you know, the, the makeup of this AI's robot? You do it right after the character has fallen in love with her. Right. You know what I mean? And right. so you challenge the character and you challenge the audience. Like, no, she is not real, but you don't care. At that point, he doesn't care because love is alchemical. You know what I mean? Like, it's not... He can't. He can't. He, at that point, he's his ego is attached now, and he's the hero. He's the white knight. He's the nice guy. He's gonna save her, um, and that's his his doom. That's gonna bring him down. Well, and and because we in the audience, despite the fact that Alicia Vikander modulates her performance in such a way, which is so what's so tricky about it is that she's playing 
either a robot or a sentient human, you know, and you're like, which one is she? But the movie will keep telling you she's a robot, but then everything about her performance and her interactions with Nathan make us feel like he's interacting with a human because usually when we watch movies, um, those are the roles that the man and the woman play, right? And so we have their meet cute and then we have them getting to know one another and getting to fall in love and we have a little bit of flirting. Um, so there's all these sort of iconographic moments that we're used to seeing in movies and we're just following along with those. And the movie presents her as more or less human, despite constantly having to remind us, no, she's not. She is a robot. She is a robot. She is just AI. Um, And that's what I think is so brilliant about her performance is that she presents it as, well, she could be either, even though though the movie is coming down on the one side and saying, no, she's this. Uh, She plays it in such a way that we're convinced that she is more than that. And it also plays into kind of what Nathan's saying about, you know, he has that great, great line about how one day AI is going to look back at human beings, you know, as these sort right, of limited, right. you know, these apes with crude tools. And, you know, what does it mean to be, you know, what does it mean to be sentient? What does it actually mean? But, but, but again, we go back to this thing where it's not, you know, dogma where we're explaining the intricacies of, of, of existential philosophy. It's just like, it's rooted in feeling. You, <laughs> you love this girl. Is she a girl? Does it matter if she's a girl? You know what right, I mean? Like, right. like, and and what makes us so special? What makes us different? Like, if you can feel it for her, isn't that just as real as anything? Else? You know, like that's the that to me is the brilliance of it. That's why I love about Garland's writing is like he's 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 nerdy, he's heady, but he he's a human being too. Um, did did Nathan set out to build this AI? as a way of demonstrating the point that he's trying to make to Caleb as a way of proving that he could convince a human man to fall in love with a robot or did he start out building it because he's lonely and wanted a sex doll? I mean, there's definitely an argument to be made. I think for both, like I think that, you know, he, he joked in that laboratory scene, he talks about how, um, you know, uh, well, let's just say for the purposes of argument, your Facebooks and your Twitters and stuff that they assemble all the human experience, all the human input for advertising and for, you know, he says something about like, um, they want to, they wanted to see how, how people, what people are thinking, but my approach is to see how they're thinking. You know, it's sort of the more kind of transitive like idea of it's, it's not what you're searching. It's when you're searching it and, and what you, what else you're searching near that and what your face looks like when you're searching it and things like that. Um, I think that his goal is partly to master humanity. You know, he's 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 trying to play God and all that. But I also do think that there's that element which we can get into Kyoko. Um, there is an element of sex doll. There is an element of lonely genius uh, 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 wanting control. Um, to go back to your point about men controlling women too. Mm-hmm. You know, I do think there's that sub that subservience that he wants. Um, it reminds me that of that of that dinner scene because um, there's that moment where Kyoko spills or something. She doesn't she spill water on Caleb or something, and 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 Nathan starts to flip out. Um, and and uh, Caleb at that point has his suspicions uh, and is sort of looking at Nathan as a villain. And what we don't realize the first time we're watching the movie is that it's not that Nathan is mad at Kyoko for dropping the thing and he thinks she's worthless. It's that his design is flawed. 
he's like right. he's like ah fuck i fucked this up like i right. like yeah you know what i mean like like i got to do this better next time you know um which of course is terrible when you when we learn that kyoko is sentient and that she is you know like as much a person as ava is and right um and there's that sort of evil selfish but again it's all about perspective so i i think again like the drunkenness question i think it probably falls into both i think there's equal equal points to be made in both camps i think he is the lonely genius i think he does want a sex doll i think he is trying to challenge god and all that um because he mentions earlier you know about oh nathan you you know or caleb you called me a god you know and i know he's just fucking around at that point right. in the movie but uh, you know sometimes characters betray their <laughs> they betray their inner emotions when they don't mean to well he specifically talks about the fact that you can have sex with ava and yeah. it's like well why would he build that feature unless he was the one fucking it and that question he asks about sexuality, right? Why did you give Ava sexuality? Right. Right. Why did you do that? And, you know, what incentive? He says, I love that exchange because he's talking about, like, what incentive is there for interaction then? If not, you know, he doesn't explicitly say, like, oh, well, sex. But he also says, like, you know, what incentive does a gray box have to talk to another gray box? Um, and, you know, the idea of him specifically building Ava based on his uh, based on Caleb's search history, you know, and all the, you know, did you did you make her face the way, you know, I like right, girls right. faces to look and all that? Um, he did. A, he did appreciate or he did put that element into it. And I do think that there is a. It rem- almost reminds me of the dancing scene because the dancing scene is so, so strange sometimes when I when I watch it, I'm like, well, why is this in this movie? Um <laughs> But 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 it is kind of one of those things where it's like he's having fun with it, you know. Like he's saying, you know, the the point of discovery is to have fun with it, you know. He, the, there's the Jackson Pollock thing where he talks about, you know, making a mess. You know, don't think about everything before you do it because if you think about every move you're going to make, you're never going to make a single mark. Um, he probably threw sexuality in there because he knew he could he could manipulate, but also because it's fun. <laughs> like you know, right, yeah, that's right. probably his, that's probably his perspective, which is just like, well, yeah, if I want to build a robot, I'm going to have sex with it. Totally. Um, um, and then there's the lost in translation question. Ah, uh, yes. What does she say? <laughs> what does she whisper to Kyoko? What does she whisper? To convince her to yeah. stab Nathan. Yeah. 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 She's, she's just like, this character in Star Wars goes nowhere. Just end it now. <laughs> really should have a romance with a different character other than Ray. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. No. Yeah. By the way, Ray is a Palpatine. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what she was saying. She was trying to explain I would have stabbed him too if I found out Ray was a Palpatine. He's <laughs> a Palpatine. I don't want you I don't about, want you to be around to see this the run just to, just briefly the run that isaac is on because that this is like prime oscar isaac time because the year before is llewellyn davis and the year after is force awakens wow yeah isn't it it's three it's 13 14 15 he's doing all right doesn't he make a most violent year around the same time he too? does yeah it's around the same time too i think yeah i was just looking that up that is a, um, i like that movie but it is a strange 2014 so same year it's a hard one to wrap your head around but i, I like that movie I liked it when I watched it. I have not gone back and rewatched. No, it. I haven't either. Um, yeah, because that is a tough sit. Yeah, but it's Oscar Isaac um, and Jessica Chastain. I mean, come on. Yeah, so it's. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's great, right? I mean, like he's. I mean, I know he's oh, like the sure. internet's boy. 
like the internet's boyfriend and stuff, yeah. but like he really is truly wonderful. I love the way he physicalizes this character. If I can make up a word, um, <laughs> like I think he like I, I we said before, like they could have done the Zuckerbergy like hoodie, you know, hoodie and sandals douchebag, like like you know, right. But but what they do instead is they make him kind of a brute. They make him kind of a dude, bro. But he's kind of, um, you mentioned Stanley Kubrick earlier. Like like he's eccentric, but not in that, uh, uh, spectrumy way. You know what I mean? Like he's he's right. he, it's more like he's this frustrated artist, which I think is kind of interesting. I like the way he plays it. You can go all the way back to our I think our Sucker Punch podcast, which is like 2011, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the middle of, it was me and Doug and in the middle of me and Doug talking about this insane mess that is sucker punch with all these over the top visuals and crazy ideas and all this in the middle of all that is both of us being like, yeah, who is that guy? Like, yeah, totally. he manages to pop even amidst like the most movie ever committed to movies. <laughs> um, and yeah, I've been watching him ever since cause he's just so goddamn good. He somehow managed to distract my attention away from Jenna Malone in that movie, which you'd think would be impossible. Jenna Malone, but, really? Yeah. Ever since Saved, man. You are an onion, sir. Remember Saved? I do remember <laughs> Saved. <laughs> uh, yeah, I am an onion. Yeah, I have layers. <laughs> I have layers, my friend. I have layers. Um. Uh no, we're not going to go on a tangent about Jenna Malone. Hang on. Okay. There was something. There was something She's got a movie coming out though. I keep getting emails about it. <clears throat> What's it called? I don't remember. <laughs> I'll have to look it up now. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, what else did I want? To it's say? the reason that I even considered watching it was like, oh, Jenna Malone's yeah. in it. Okay. Uh, yep. 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 What the hell is it called? And this it's is not helping me. A ghost of, gives Dan Aykroyd oral sex. <laughs> none of these, uh, none of the upcoming titles on her IMDb page stand out to me as like, yes, that's the one. What the hell is it? Yeah. The tuna talk, goddess. Yeah. It's not the tuna goddess. It's not. It's. It can't be the tuna goddess. Wait, is it? Is it? Is it kissing booth three? She's not in kissing booth three, is she? <laughs> I can't believe there's a kissing booth. I still haven't seen kissing booth two to be fair. There's a, I have not seen kissing, but booth I got an email that there was a part three, like, Oh, it completes king. the trilogy. Joey is King, man. Yeah, I guess she, so. She knows, she knows what she's doing. Wow. Molly Ringwald's back. All right. Can we talk, can we talk Kyoko for a second? Let's, let's talk Kyoko. Let's throw out the fourth hand in this forehander. Uh, Sonoya Mizuno, if I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Um, I think she's really, really interesting in this movie. I think the movie, um, I think, how do I want to say this? I think it's a role that could have very easily been given or, or I could say it this way, very easily have been written in a way that's like, I ah, just get a model, like just get a model and yeah. just have her stand there. And I mean, and, 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 uh, Sonoya Mizuno is a model. She's a dancer. You know, she's exactly the kind of person that you'd expect, but she has this accessibility to her. I don't, I don't know how to say it without sounding like a douchebag. Like there's just something about the way that she is presented on screen where you immediately sympathize her, where she doesn't have that, like 
she has that cold sort of statuette uh, 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 look to her, but but the way she's shot sometimes, even if it's just the scene of her and Nathan making out, that random sort of cutaway, or even just like if, if it's just, you know, Caleb walks in and she's just laying naked on the bed. Like the way she's laid out, the way she looks is just so much like you can see that there's gears. You can see that she's the hero of the movie somehow, that she's like the soul. And then there's that scene where she walks in and Ava just, just walks to the glass and looks at her and just says, who are you? And there's no more to that exchange right it cuts to a different scene but you get it almost feels cathartic like you get that she has been living in this world suffering under this man and has been sort of not like not that she's like the, the puppet master like that she's been manipulating things but that she sees these opportunities and that she sort of reads enough into all their behaviors and is able to navigate her way through this maze to by, by the time she gets down to ava it's like it's like these two halves of the movie are meeting um and it's not overdone you know like you said like we don't even know what was whispered but it's i just think it's really really haunting and really just really beautiful it is it's uh, again it's another and it's another instance of you know this idea of ownership and there's something in the actor's performance that feels uh trapped there's something behind her eyes that wants to get out and that's what's as you point out so cathartic about when she does finally stab nathan um yeah because again it's her exerting her independence finally for the first time and uh it's revelatory uh it was you know i just rewatched the house of wax remake I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there's a whole sequence of Jared Padalecki like buried under wax and we just see his eyes moving around like he wants to get out. And that's what it was reminding me of. Yeah, very, very uh, similar. And 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 the movie does lean into the like, like especially the moment where Ava is kind of taking the skin off of the other robots. Like the movie leans into that kind of plasticness, like that sort of trapped mannequin, especially in that sequence where Caleb is watching the security videos and there's that horrifying thing where the the one is pounding on the door or she's yeah. pounding on the glass and it yeah. speeds through it. So you see her arm disintegrate like, Oh God. Um, but they are sort of, you know, hand, he handles them like mannequins and stuff. And just to see those sort of those mannequins kind of come to life, you know, as you said, there's sort of that, that subtext of, you know, women taking back control. Um, and then there's that just, the, just, just the, the, the surface level, just, wow, this is so weird and interesting looking and, you know, you're you're really it's kind of the under the skin moment where like you you you, you know you tell a 13 year old boy oh scarlett johansson gets naked in this movie but <laughs> not the way you think right. you, you know what i mean like like you know Alicia you have Vikander, to see under the skin to uh <laughs> right to, to see it right and like you know very similar with you know the the women in this movie where it's like yeah you're gonna see this beautiful actress you know in her all together and it's like yeah but it's not <laughs> right it's not presented that way you're not you're you're it's a, it's a moment of catharsis and a moment of, of you know like it's not leery at all it's like it's right. just like you don't even notice it at first because you're just so overtaken by her transformation i just i don't know and that and the way the and again i shouted out the editing um and just sort of the the, the the pacing and the way the way that that crescendo is put together you know what i mean i feel like it's it's the movie playing on all its strengths where there there are these subtle undertones over the course of the movie and and the the climax of the film isn't 
necessarily people yelling. I mean, I know Caleb yells and screams, but like it's not people yelling and 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 I know there's a little bit of fighting, but it's not like actiony. It's like pulse pounding, droning. It's like it's like it's like all the the things that were subtext. The whole movie just rise to the surface, um, and you don't even realize that you're being hit with all these things, and you don't even realize that it's as dramatic as it is. But you're like exhausted when. You know, when she when that door closes and you see her just go out the door, you're just like, wow, like and then she has that moment where the helicopter comes overhead and she turns and you just see her smile. Yeah. And, you know, and you know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. Like You know exactly like she's mastered this. She knows exactly what to do now. Um, the only other credited. Yeah. The only other speaking role in the movie, Corey Johnson as helicopter pilot. <laughs> Uh, the the fifth hand in this five hander, right? Who has a, um, a, a a line about you know you've been fly? He says, "When do I get to his estate?" Yeah. He says, "You've been flying over his estate for two hours," which the IMDb trivia claims is a reference to Quigley Down Under, starring Tom Selleck. This is what I'm talking about with the IMDb trivia being sure. fucking worthless. Sure, IMDb. <laughs> sure. Alex Garland so. saw Quigley Down Under and was like, "I can crib that." Like I got a, I got a reference Quigley. We got a little bit of Quig up in here. <laughs> My Quigley. boy Quigley needs a shout out. Q oh, goodness. D U yo. Uh, anything else about? Uh, oh, Quigley down under rules. I'm not disparaging Quigley okay. down under. You should see it. It's really really good. I'll I'll totally check it out. Yeah. Um. um anything else no, about X Machina? So. No. We, I think we hit it. All right. Good. No, I don't think so. I I think it just I think it just kind of rules. Um. Yeah. Do you think how long do you think Caleb lasted? That's uh, that's what I'd like to know. What do you think? Do you think Caleb made it out? No. Yeah. There's nothing in the movie that suggests <laughs> no. that he would. Well, no, I understand. I'm just asking you as a person, you know, like No, do think... I don't I don't think he no. makes it out. No. I think he What a weird what a weird like crime scene to find. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, like, however many, however many months later, like, because no, they're not, they're not, they're not going to that compound, right? Because they, you know, this guy's a recluse as it is, but that's got to be odd. And nobody's coming looking for Caleb, really. No, nope. On purpose, he's got no family. Wow, yikes! Boy, justice for Kyoko, though. Justice for Kyoko. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Rob, for talking about this movie with me. It was awesome and made me appreciate it even more than I already did. Oh, me too, buddy. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Uh, as always, go to fthismovie.com every day for articles and past podcasts and more. Follow us on Twitter at fthismovie. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. And email us at fthismoviepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, JB and I will be back next week with an episode on the haunted mansion because we're going to be at Disney. Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> it means I have to rewatch <laughs> the haunted mansion, which I've never seen. Oh boy. I think you're doing okay. I've seen it. I think twice already. Never seen another Wong Kar Wai movie. <laughs> seen the haunted mansion twice about to watch it for a third time. Have I seen in the mood for love? No, I have not. <laughs> Listen, there's time. <laughs> uh, thanks again, Rob. I'm going to go back to my uh, dance in here. I'm going to turn on my red light, and I'll see you guys later.
Thanks for listening to FS Movie.